Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Ding dong! Who's ready for more New York City history? After all that shopping we just did at Macy's. Come on, I promise it will be fun. Besides, it ties right in with the show we saw last night. Okay, but first, can we sit down over there in Greeley Park? My dogs are barking. Sure thing. Aren't you going to tell me why it's called Greeley Park? No, you have to sign up for the tour for that. Ugh, you're killing me. But here's what I will tell you. Do you know what this area, or square, is called? Of course. It's called Herald Square. But do you know why it's called that? I assume it has something to do with the no longer printed paper, the New York Herald. You would be correct. It is in fact named in honor of that paper. But do you know why there is a Herald Square and not, let's say, a Tribune Square or a Sun Square or even a World Square? Okay, now you got me. Why? Back in the late 18th century, Park Row, down by City Hall, was known as Newspaper Row because all the city's papers were based there. That is until the late 1890s when the New York Herald moved to what was then uptown, to 34th Street at the intersections of Broadway, 6th Avenue, and 34th Street. Okay. This would later set up precedent for how and why Times Square got its name. Right, but I thought you were going to tie it into our show last night. Yes. Do you know what paper was the biggest rival of the New York Herald? The New York Times? Not quite yet. It was the New York World, owned and operated by none other than... Joseph Pulitzer. Yep, the man from our show. The man who helped get funding for the base of the Statue of Liberty and a man whose name is still just as recognizable, if not more, than the square we are in now. In sort of a humorous way, Pulitzer got the last laugh and ultimately beat the New York Herald. How do you figure that? The Herald got a square named after all, but Pulitzer is on Broadway and has an internationally renowned prize in his name. Touché. Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we're going to be discussing the headline-breaking show, Newsies. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone. Welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Look at us. We're the kings of New York. And we're bringing you along for our exciting journey as we delve into the heart of paperboys, unions, and strikes in today's front page story show, Newsies. This fan favorite and rousing show earned the regard of both newsboys 
and politicians, or children and adults alike. Crowds flock to see the dancing and flying paperboys eight times a week. But before we dive into the lifestyle section, we need to brush up on the headlines first. Newsies the Musical is a musical based on the 1992 musical film Newsies, which was inspired by the real-life newsboy strike of 1899 in New York City. Newsies the Musical premiered at the Paper Mill Playhouse in Millburn, New Jersey from September 25th, 2011 through October 16th of the same year. This production was later transferred to Broadway with several changes in the music and actors. This is the perfect time to introduce our design team. The book was by Harvey Firestein, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Jack Feldman, original screenplay by Bob Zudiker and Noni White, director was Jeff Calhoun, choreographer Christopher Gatelli, scenic design by Tobin Ost, costume design by Jess Goldstein, lighting design Jeff Crotier, sound design Ken Travis, production projection design Sven Ortel, hair and wig design by Charles G. LaPointe. The show pulled into the Nederlander Theater on March 29, 2012, where it ran for over two years and 1,004 performances, closing on August 24, 2014. That season, Newsies would be nominated for eight Tony Awards and leave that evening with two. Best Original Score for Jack Feldman and Alan Menken, and Best Choreography by Christopher Gattelli. The Broadway production cost about $5 million to stage. Newsies recouped its initial investment of $5 million in seven months, becoming the fastest of any Disney musical on Broadway to turn a profit. A national tour began shortly after the show closed on Broadway and lasted two years. Following the end of the tour, a limited filmed theatrical release was announced for February 2017. The three-day release grossed $3.47 million. Disney then announced that the musical production would be available digitally on May 23, 2017. On August 24, 2017, Disney announced the film, the filmed production of Newsies would be available on Netflix from... September 10th. The film was made available on Disney's streaming service, Disney+. Plus. On March 8th, 2022, it was announced that a brand new immersive in the round production directed and choreographed by Matt Cole will open at the Troubadour Wembley Park Theater in England uh, starting from the 28th of November, 2022. So, let's get out there and carry the banner. orphaned and homeless newsboys live in a lower Manhattan lodging house with their informal leader, 17-year-old Jack Kelly. In the early hours of the morning, Jack tells his best friend, Crutchy, of his dream to one day leave New York for a better life out west. 
As the sun rises, the rest of the newsies awaken and prepare for a day on the job, finding as much joy as they can in their life of poverty. At the circulation gate, Jack meets a new newsboy named Davy and his nine-year-old brother, Les. Unlike the other newsies, the brothers have a home and a loving family and have been pulled out of school only temporarily to support their parents while their father is out of work with an injury. Seeing young Les as an opportunity to sell more papers, Jack offers to be their partner. Meanwhile, the publisher of the New York World, Joseph Pulitzer, expresses his displeasure at his newspaper's declining circulation. To increase his profits, he decides to increase the cost of the papers for the newsies, ignoring his secretary's concerns that it's going to be awfully rough on those children. Later, Jack, Davy, and Les are selling their final newspapers of the day when the corrupt warden Snyder of the Refuge, a juvenile detention center, recognizes Jack as an escapee from his institution. He attempts to chase the boys down, but they find cover in a vaudeville-style theater owned by Jack's friend, Meta Larkin, whom he regularly paints backdrops for. As Meta performs That's Rich, Jack spots a young female reporter named Catherine, Catherine Plummer. She rebuffs Jack's attempt to flirt with her, but she is then charmed when he leaves her a sketch of her portrait. The next morning, the newsies discover that the cost of newspapers has been raised to 60 cents per hundred. Outraged, Jack declares the newsies to be a union and organizes a protest. Catherine decides to cover the strike, seeing it as an opportunity to be taken more seriously as a journalist. The next day, the boys have informed the rest of the city's newsies about the strike, but each neighborhood claims that they will only join once Spot Collin, the leader of the Brooklyn newsies, gives the okay. The newsies are discouraged by the lack of support, but Davy convinces them to protest regardless of who shows. Scabs arrive to take the newsies' jobs, but are persuaded to join the strike by Jack, who delivers an impassioned speech condemning child labor and the city's treatment of the poor. The protest appears to be headed for success, but is soon cut short when Pulitzer's goon squad and the police arrive to break it up by force. During the ensuing fight, Crutchy is apprehended, badly beaten, and taken to the refuge. A devastated Jack escapes to the lodging house rooftop and, blaming himself for the protest failure, fantasizes about running away forever. Act 2 starts the next morning where Catherine finds the battered and bruised newsies in Jacoby's Deli, only to learn that no one knows where Jack is as rumors circulate about his whereabouts. She cheers the other newsies up by showing them that her article about the strike made the front page of the New York Sun. Thrilled, the boys rejoice at making the headline and imagine what it would be like to be famous. However, Pulitzer has declared a blackout on strike news, meaning Catherine's story will be the only one to run. Meanwhile, Crutchy writes a letter to Jack describing the filthy and abusive conditions at the refuge. He asks Jack to make sure the newsies continue to look out for one another, signing the letter, Your Brother Crutchy. Later, Davy finds Jack hiding out in the basement of Meta's theater and informs him of his plan to hold a citywide rally in the theater. Jack, distraught over Crutchy's arrest, refuses to put the other boys back in danger. But 
Davy, along with Catherine and Les, convince him that their fight is too important to quit. Back at the world, an angry Pulitzer plots with Warden Snyder about how to stop Jack. Snyder reveals that Jack was originally sentenced to the refuge for vagrancy, but has since become a frequent visitor, with his most recent arrest being for trafficking stolen food and clothing. Jack soon arrives with an invitation for Pulitzer to attend the rally Davy has planned. Pulitzer declines, assuring Jack that no newspaper will violate the blackout order by covering the rally. Pulitzer claims that if it's not in the papers, it never happened. Jack attempts to counter by claiming the Newsies already have a reporter on their side. But Pulitzer reveals that Catherine is his daughter and that Plummer is only her pen name. He offers Jack a choice. If the strike is called off, Jack will be cleared of all charges and given enough money to leave for Santa Fe. But if not, he and the other Newsies will be arrested and sent to the refuge. Catherine, who has been listening in secret, attempts to apologize to Jack, but he brushes her off as he is detained by Pulitzer's goons and led into the cellar. The next morning, Spot Collin and the Brooklyn Newsies declare their support of the strike and head to the rally. Jack, believing there's no way the Newsies can win against Pulitzer's money, power, and connection, shows up to the rally to reluctantly suggest the strike be called off. He accepts the Santa Fe money from one of Pulitzer's men as Davy, Spot, and the other Newsies watch in disbelief, calling him a traitor and a scab. Jack flees to his rooftop only to find that Catherine has beaten him there. She has discovered Jack's drawings of the abuse he suffered at the refuge among his belongings and realizes that he stole to feed and clothe the other boys. They argue about their respective betrayals and the fate of the strike. But the argument is cut short when she impulsively kisses him. Catherine has a new idea. Use Jack's drawing and one of her articles to print their own newspaper, calling for every worker under 21 to strike alongside the Newsies. Jack agrees, recalling an abandoned printing press in Pulitzer Cellar. But before getting to work, they share a romantic moment, each staring, stating that the other has given them something to believe in. The other Newsies join Jack and Catherine in printing their own paper, the Newsies Banner, and distribute copies throughout the city. A copy reaches Governor Theodore Roosevelt, who arrives in full support of the Newsies' cause. Roosevelt gives Pulitzer an ultimatum, forcing the latter to concede to Jack's demands. Jack proposes that Pulitzer buy every paper the Newsies fail to sell each day. Initially reluctant, Pulitzer agrees when Jack points out he will still ultimately benefit from the increased sales. Jack and Roosevelt inform the Newsies that the strike is over and they have won. As the Newsies celebrate, Roosevelt informs them that he has shut down the refuge, citing Jack's drawings as his motivation to do so. Crutchy returns to his friends and Snyder is arrested. Impressed at the influence Jack's drawings had on the governor, Pulitzer offers him a job as a daily political cartoonist. Jack declines, claiming that it's time he leaves for Santa Fe. But Davy, Catherine, and Crutchy remind him that New York's got us, and we're your family. Ultimately, Jack decides to stay and chooses to remain a newsboy, as well as accept the cartoonist job. The, the end. end.
let's now talk about the parts we like and the parts that we think needed improvement. Oh, yeah. Hey, I really enjoyed this show. I mean, it's a good show. It has all the things you want from a... It's a guilty pleasure kind of show where you're like, oh, this is such that... What's the word I'm looking for? Not a cult classic, but like it's a film that everyone like loves mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then they brought it to the stage. And it's like, a, I don't know, maybe it's like a hipster thing to say, but you're like, of course, you know, I don't want to be the one to like it. But you're like, okay, it's like liking the Backstreet Boys in the 90s or something, and you know, or Justin Bieber or something, you know, it's that guilty pleasure that you're like, mm, yeah, I really do like this kind of stuff. Um, right. It's like you can't help it because it slaps. Wow, we're in our 30s and we're talking about things that slap. It's fire. Listen, I said... Are still saying that? Are you still saying that? It's no, fire? No, they're not saying that. They're, they might <clears throat> be saying fire every once in a while, but no, no, no. Uh, no, no, you old fart. <laughs> I thought the music was really fantastic and the singing was incredible. The dancing, mwah, chef's kiss. Oh, um, yeah, this... I mean, it took a beloved childhood movie... And made it better. You know, there's always that big fear when you do a, like... A classic. A classic that it's going to be not as good. And this took it and made it so much better. So I think I had the advantage in that I've never seen the movie. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. They When I was in middle school in band, they would, like, after the spring concert, as we were, like, winding out the year... We would just watch movies because there's no reason to like rehearse anymore. And I remember they'd always put newsies on, but I'd be in the corner playing cards with friends. So I can re- vaguely remember the opening when they're singing Seize the Day and there's the harmonica kid. I vaguely remember that, but I've never actually seen the film. Okay. So I went in and I was like, I kind of have a loose idea of what this is about. I kind of know the songs, but I was just blown away and I was like, yeah. And I thought the story was really important and really well represented because, you know, we have a, I'd like to think we have a decent understanding of, and particularly in that period, time period, um, of the unions, the rise of the unions the and strikes. Movement. Yeah. But we didn't, I don't think a lot of people realize, I mean, this is actually based on true events, that children rose up as well and struck and struck and striked. I don't know what the correct past tense is, but um, yeah, they they got involved in the labor movement because they were part of the labor movement, mm-hmm. uh, as insane as that is, you know. Um, and it it was important that they also, you know, pointed out the obvious does about unsafe working conditions and bad pay and bad practices and such. And I also think it's a timely, it was a timely show because it showed the value of unions. Um, I think here in a, in a, in a highly union state in New York, that kind of goes unnoticed because the unions are so present. But if you go to a different state, like where we're from in Utah, right to work state, a lot of people don't understand the benefit of a union. Um, And that comes with two reasons. One, maybe there's not enough people that would need a union. Like it's not big enough that a union's needed. But two, they don't understand the full benefit of what a union is. And I think that it's not that there's a lack of people. And this is getting into politics, so I apologize. But I think it comes from not understanding the benefit of the union. And at least in Utah, there's this, this guilt of, 
well, if I unionize, that means that I'm going against my employer and, you know, I should just be able to talk to my employer about yeah. it. And it's it's kind of like that there's this morality with it. And it's like, well, the, the reason why it exists is because you can't. We've tried. Yeah. We've tried to just be able to go to our, our um, you know, employer and be like, hey, we need better conditions. And time and time again, regardless of what the reason is, employers have shown that unless there's a force behind it, they're not going to do what's in the best interest of the employees always. Now, there are exceptions. There are companies that do that. But... So I'm going to put a button in this because this is going to come up later on when we talk about societal impact and such. So let's just put a button in that. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to dear life. But tying it back to what I was saying with the story, with the actual story, um, I think it's just important for another historical event to be spoken about and in such a way that that a lot of people can relate particularly the youngins you know know your history it's important to know the history of not only you know the country you're from but you know there's a reason why you can't work till you're 16 mm-hmm. there are, there are reasons why we have these protections and they're not all that old if you look at the grand scheme of things right you know so before we get, you know, too deep into the hearts, let's go in and discuss the elements of the show. Yes. Um, and I think let's start with the set because it is a, I would say it's an iconic set. I agree. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I loved that um, steel box piece, that that three layer. It lo- Okay, look, this is going to be a really bad description, but I, I think it'll be the best way. It looked like the Hollywood Square set because it had the three stories, but it was like nine boxes so of what it, steel. Kind of. So what it was is it was three scaffolding, like uh, three or four. It was three across and three down. Yes, uh, but they were like scaffolding pieces of stairs. Yes, but they but they also created like three individual boxes. <laughs> it was very versatile because it could move around the stage forward and back and it provided at times background for projections it provided a space for the actors to write in and 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 the thing that it one moment i remember is um one for all and all what's that song is it one for all it yeah. sees the day it sees the day now is the time to see. Yeah. 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 Okay, so in Seize the Day, when they come forward in that big, there's change coming, you know, uh-huh. the set moves forward, and they're in these boxes, and the way they're lit, they look like they're, like, in a picture on the front page in these individual boxes. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things I was like, this is a really versatile main set piece. Yeah. But then it could also, like you mentioned, it could be used for that scaffolding because the top of it was Jack's, the rooftop, where Jack hung out. <laughs> but it also, the bottom was also the refuge. It also showed the stage, Meta, Metal Ark and Stage. Yep, yep. Um, well, and it's they could move forward and back. They could rotate. There, yep. could, there were times where there were... You know, all of them were on stage. There were times where they weren't on stage. Like, it was just very versatile, very beautiful. Um, and like you said, it did have that element of, like, square and then lines. Like, so it read like a newspaper. Exactly. I love the use of projections. 
uh, particularly in the back depicting the different headlines to help communicate time and place. And I think that's something that because of all the action happening that unless you see it more than once, um, you don't catch. But in the back, they're putting these he these headlines. And I'd like to look into if they're real headlines of what is happening. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, of course, when they go to the, the distributor, right, we see it written about the trolley strike, right? Mm -hmm. And that's great. But like in the back, we're seeing paper front pages of pa different papers at different times. And I think that was really, really clever. Um, I also like the, the picket signs and the banners. Mm -hmm. They were really simple, really clever. They, I mean, literally, it's just like a piece of cloth that they found, like a rag they found on the street, a stick. They were not elaborate at all. They did not look like, or they didn't look organized at all. This literally looked found. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it gave it that genuine, genuinity, genuineness. Genuine, genuine, authentic feel. I'm going to try to come up with $8 words this early. Um, you know, so it, yeah, I think all of those elements just really work together to create that, that world, that grimy, dingy dirty world right well and to play into that i also think you know we should move on to the costumes because the the fun part about this costume design is the newsies really just had the one costume because they were poor they couldn't afford multiple things of clothing hooray for being poor right but you had newsies that played different newsies from different boroughs and so they would just change a vest a hat a shirt maybe once in a while adjust the way their pants were sitting yep um you know, so that was really great. But then you were able to have characters like Meadow and... Pulitzer uh, and, and his barber and Catherine. Right, that had these really lush, lavish-looking costumes that changed to show us really that class difference. Because a lot of the labor strike was about class difference. Even in Davy and Les, you mm -hmm. saw a huge difference. Mm -hmm. You could tell that they, at one point in time, did have money. They weren't like a lot of the other newsies that just... They were the representation of the middle class. Yes. They weren't upper class like the Pulitzer was, but they weren't poor like the newsies. Right. And we have to appreciate the classic news newsboy look. That newsy look. Oh, With yeah. the newsboy cap and the shirt that doesn't quite fit. It's a little too big, but it's a little open at the neck. and You know. Mm -hmm. Or the pants that are a little too tight. With the with the uh, 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 suspenders, uh huh. You know, um, I also really appreciated Meta Larkin's look, and then the two girls who were like the dancers in the background when Catherine is reviewing the show. Mm-hmm. And there's those two like saloon girl yep. looking burlesque saloon girl. That I thought that was really brilliant. And props to Theodore Roosevelt, Bully. Mm -hmm. Bully! He looked quite the part. Bully. You know. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to like really point out on costumes. I mean, it was an authentic newsboy. I mean, it's... Well, I, the thing I love that it wasn't so grimy that it was unrealistic. They were dirty without being like in the mud. Yes. They were dirty enough. Yes. So, I yeah. you They look dirty, but pitiful dirty, not... You need a bath so bad, I don't want to talk to you until you had a bath. Exactly. So why don't we go on to lights? 
I love that. Let's lights. do it. We need lights. Um, they worked hand in hand, not only with the projections, I thought, but honestly with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, and like I said, that moment that really comes to mind is then that seize today when they bring that set piece forward and the lights just snap. There's change coming. And that thing See, is moving forward. And I'm like, oh, my God, the, yeah. the moment that really hits me is Santa Fe because I just think of that moon in the background and how it really just felt like we were in a, like, on a rooftop and it was intimate. But that was all done with lights. Yeah. I also think um, I love the opening. Where you see the different kind of spots and we're just waking up and we're finding all the newsies and we're meeting all of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it really helped create the emotions and communicate the feelings during the power ballads or in the inspirational songs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there, we, was, there was this beautiful blend of brights and shadows to help with the storytelling. I'm like thinking about um, when, he, when Jack's in the cellar. Mm-hmm. And there's Pulitzer Times running out, kid, what'll it be? Right? Mm-hmm. And it's very dark, except for Jack and Pulitzer. But even there, like in the shadows, it's so... You know this is just such a shady moment, but you can see something in the back of that sheet. And you're just like, what? Mm. You're intrigued. I, I loved that. Mm-hmm. I love that they can create that world. Um, and keep in mind, I don't think... Yeah, electricity's not here yet, so this is all kerosene and whale oil you know lights mm, no there was a little bit of lights like there was some power okay I don't well, I don't think electricity is in the bulk but still the way that the, everything's being lit is really fabulous um, I, I just thought it really another scene that comes to mind is King of New York uh-huh. it had this warm hopeful feeling to it Right, but it also felt like they were inside a dingy pub. Yes. First thing in the Good morning. Good Jacoby's Deli. <laughs> um, I loved the great use of shadows. We talked about that. Um, and particularly as the show went on, because it, it cast a slight dimness of hope throughout the situation. So even when they were like, yeah, we're going to do this, there was still this use of shadow to show, like, mm, is there hope? And finally, at the end was when we really got this good, bright, like, see, things will work out. Mm-hmm. It's a Disney show. Um, I love the lighting when Jack is painting the backdrop for Meadow. Yeah. Because you've got that, like, he was using a light down below to help, you know. But we still had overhead light, but it was dominant from below. Mm-hmm. It was a really good, it was really technically good lighting. Um, I love that the whole show just had the sepia tone to it. Right, that way you knew it was from the past. <laughs> you know, I just I thought it was brilliantly lit top to bottom. You know, I mean, one thing is I'm trying I was trying to pick apart lighting to talk about, but I was like, man, this was just good. I don't remember. Money. I think that's the mark of a good design element when you can't remember too much of it because it just works so well with the other elements. The thing with design is. Like, it should stand out, but it shouldn't. If it's standing out wholly from the entire show, it didn't do its job because it needs to work with the other elements. Well, and that's where I think this is a great segue to direction. Because really, having a director that has a clear vision and is able to corral and, you know, give their designers 
what they want, so they're all seeing the same vision, leads to a impeccable design that yep. does make it really hard to pick it apart, and you only see the the synergy of the whole thing working together. The synergy. You said that very much like uh, Delio from Be- Beetlejuice. The synergy. <laughs> the essence. Um, no, I completely agree with you. I, I think you're exactly right. Um, so in this show, the director did a great job of that, bringing all those elements together. Um, and um, also, uh, this show did what any great musical does, which is get stuck in your head and leaves a lasting impression. Uh, it makes you want to go and, and know more about the subject matter of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you left and you're like, yeah, that's great. Da, 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 da. But then you were like, I want to know more. Mm-hmm. Like, what? where did this come from? Da, 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 you know. Uh, Honestly, this show made me really p- proud to be a member of the union. Yeah, union. Woo. Mm-hmm. We like being union members. Um, while relying on the recognition of the film, I felt the new vision and direction of this production did create a whole new story and version of its own. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is going to be really ridiculous. Okay, I'm ready. I'll But the movie is like a two-pack Reese's. You know, you love it. It's great. But then you have the musical that's like a king-size Reese's. It's even more of a good thing. And so, yeah, you could watch the movie and you're happy with your two recesses, but would you rather have four and watch the musical? Hell yeah. Okay. What I'm saying is it just did such a beautiful job of taking something that was good and making it better so that really, I mean... Yeah, I'll watch the movie, but if I had to pick between the movie and the musical, I'm going to watch the musical. Yes. Because it's better, because it's more. I thought the musical, and see, I haven't seen the movie, so for me, the musical, just the story was complete. Seeing dancing like that live was incredible. The music got in your head, uh, had a heartfelt story, an important story, like all of that. Everything, the pacing, the tempo... The, the highs and lows, it all rose to a, a great climax and then a great demu, demu, what am I thinking of? After the climax, the de, demu. Anyway, those of you out there that know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. It's the fall after the climax. Uh, it's a French word that I just can't think of this early in the morning. Um, yeah, so I thought that all worked great. Now maybe I should watch the movie to see how the two stack up to each other. But I always think live theater is better than a film, this in my is true. opinion. There's something about, like I said, that communal experience. Speaking of communal experiences, these transitions are boss. Let's go on to the music. <laughs> I think the music, once again, is, is iconic. Mm-hmm. Nothing but earworms. Oh, yeah. They took the music that we loved from the movie and embellished it and expanded on it and tied it all together in such a beautiful way. Exactly. I mean, I think the score is really beautiful. There's not a bad song in the entire score. Mm-hmm. It was brilliantly arranged, brilliantly orchestrated, really pulls at the heartstrings and stirs the emotions. You just wanted to get up and dance and sing. As Linda Belcher says, I want to dance, I want to sing. Right, well, and I just they just did such a beautiful job with the underscoring and the added songs that they all felt like they belonged to the same family. 
Yes. There's nothing that fell. There's been a few Disney movie to stage adaptations that I've seen where they've added music that I'm like, this feels like it doesn't fit the you wrote world. the song and like on a 10 minute break and threw it in because you needed a new song. And it doesn't feel like it matches the world. Exactly. Like this film came from the 80s and now they're doing it in the 2000s and there's a huge disconnect. The tone doesn't match, you know? Mm-hmm. That's None not of the that case. happened in here. This everything just literally it all flowed. I, I would I would imagine that Alan Menken sat down and wrote the show at the exact same time, the whole thing. Everything sounded the from the exact same point of origin. It was brilliant. Um, and lastly, speaking of brilliant, we have to talk about the choreography. I mean this show is iconic for the choreography. It it created iconic and recognizable choreography. I mean, the newsy is now a move and a reference choreography. Mm-hmm. Choreography. Let's just say it again because we haven't said it enough. Choreography. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking of that spread leg, arm in the air, leap kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. the newsy. Mm-hmm. You know? The moment when the newsies all throw the papers on the ground and dance on them. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. They place it down and they rip them and then they're doing all these dance. And I was like, okay. Like, ama- and again, live theater, you get one shot. If it messes up, it messes up. Like, it is what it is. Um, I loved the vast styles that were used, including ballet, jazz, tap. Mm-hmm. The amount of tap that was in the show was amazing, especially in King of New York. Mm-hmm. I love tap. Tap is great. Tap is alive and well. Um... They it just this was great in that it had a few small little numbers, a few small little dance numbers, some ballads, but then they had these really big production numbers. You know, seize the day. Um, what's the opening number? Carrying the banner, uh, King of New York. You mm-hmm. know, Santa uh, Fe. Well, no, no. What's the once and for, uh, the the big battle at the end of Act One? You know, they have these huge production numbers. It's incredible. I, I thought just the level and intensity that these performers performed at each night was absolutely incredible. I mean, it's just exhausting just watching it. And the fact that these performers did it sometimes twice in one day was amazing. The show has had several notable performers, including Jeremy Jordan, John Dossett, Kara Lindsay, Kapathia Jenkins. Jenkins, Ben Frankenhauser, Andrew Keenan Bolger, Mike Fast, Thane Jasperson, Ephraim M. Sykes, and Corey Cott. London dropped its dignity. Yeah. So has France and Germany. Yeah. All hands are dancing to a raggedy melody full of originality. Sing it, folks. The folk who live in sunny Spain. So let's now talk about the impact the show has had on the theater and its history. So starting with theatrical impact. It was a huge win for Disney. Another huge success for Disney. Yeah, this... I'm trying to think... Mary Poppins was was a big hit. Aladdin. But Tarzan and the Little Mermaid had been swings and a miss. Um, So, you know, this, this was a huge go team. Um, this was another family-friendly show on Broadway, which was a big deal. Um, I mean, we, anytime you can... I mean, we're always trying to att- uh, attract that 
I guess, family side. Mm-hmm. Got to have that good balance on Broadway, and so this was a good, another great option. Um, I thought this created this show was. Uh, it's a huge accessible show for theaters from Community to Broadway. Yes. Not only in its story and content, but also just in the ability to be done. Yes. Um, and it brought. I, I I listed a cult classic, but I think it's just a classic film to the stage. Yeah. You know, I think that's the other theatrical impact. I would say, you know, and, and after that, everything falls under societal. Wouldn't you agree then? I would definitely agree. So now we're going to unleash the button from you and go into societal impact. Um, first, I want to say that it excited and brought a whole other audience and generation to the theater. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've met people who were like obsessed with this film. Mm-hmm. Like, this was the film. Like, everybody I knew growing up was like, oh my God, Newsy, you know? And when they announced Newsy was coming to Broadway, it was like the Beatles coming to America. People back home were losing their mind. And I was like, cool, I need to go see what everyone's freaking out about. Um, so it brought that, those people to the theater, you know? Um, and brought this younger generation that wanted to see these boys dancing all over the stage and everything and this powerful show and and you know it wasn't just that classic animated tale of Aladdin or the Lion King or something no it was a story that had substance and meaning and it was it's something that really resonates with youth because think about it when we when we have issues that come up in society and when we have you know I guess, an imbalance of power. Mm-hmm. It is typically the youth that is on the lower end of the of the scale. Yes. You know, and so this was a show that helped empower younger people to be like, no, you have a voice. You can change the world and the system you're in. You know, you can use your voice for good. You, can, you don't have to be complacent in poor conditions. You don't have to be unhappy. It's pushing that idea that it's okay to dream for more and it's okay to act on those actions to make it better and if you see something that's going wrong you can say something and you can be a voice of change and power and of reason no matter what your age is because your experience your experience is enough to change the world yes agreed yes well put Um, It also started a following of the show and in turn of the performers and their projects and other musical theater shows. You know, the fans of the show not only were like, I'm a big Newsy fan, but then they started following these individual performers and what they were doing afterwards. Mm -hmm. You know, what was Ben Frankenhauser doing after he left and Andrew Keenan Bolger and and Corey Cott. Efren Sykes, Corey Cott, Jeremy Jordan. People who, I remember seeing people um, at Bandstand who were big Newsy fans. Because Corey Cott was in it, you know, um, that that is direct. You know, I, I hadn't seen that before, where uh, fans were not just fans of the show, but f- following these individual performers. And I was like, "Cool, go see other shows. That's fantastic." Um, and I feel like this show also brought a whole new energy to the theater scene. Mm-hmm. It just it did it. It just exuded this energy all over Broadway. Oh, yeah. It was this energetic and youthful glow. Yeah. So is the show still relevant? 
This is a show with a diverse and interesting message that stems generational gaps. Kids love it because they can identify with the characters on stage. Adults like it because they can appreciate the talent as well as the message being spoken about, equality, and workers' rights. All of these still matter and are at large today. With the energy and excitement and with Broadway continuing to lure audiences back to the theater, as well as continue to excite a younger generation about patronizing the theater, I would absolutely say yes. I would also say this is a perfect, uh, that this is perfect, as mentioned before, for community theaters all the way to Broadway. But I would say this is a perfect time for a revival of Newsies. Um, what better way to fill the seats with the, the youth than with the show that they love and get excited about? I'd also say with everything going on regarding the labor um movement in America right now. What an important show. I, I would say this, The Cradle Will Rock, uh, Waiting for Lefty, these kind of shows that are, are commentaries on labor reform are important because now that we are emerging from the pandemic, not wood, labor is something that's at this focus of it well, a lot. And we're, and we're redefining, sorry to interrupt you, but we are redefining what a work a work life balance is it's actually a part of the conversation to talk about yes. the balance between work and life and I have how a life outside of this job it's going to matter it's going to and, be important these are boundaries exactly and i feel like really this pandemic has showed us that boundaries and that work life balance are essential to living a happy healthy life well even boundaries at work Yes. What is what is appropriate or what is tolerable at work, whether it be from within like a boss or a manager or from a customer. A lot of people are like, I don't understand why a lot of people have left the service industry and haven't come back. And it's like, have you seen the way some people treat people in the service industry? I wouldn't go back to my job if I had to deal with that day in, day out. What kind right. of life is that? Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people have gotten to realize that and gone, I'm going to go and do something that makes me happier. So... Along with that, you've got people who are unionizing to protect or create a better work environment. Right, like with what companies like Starbucks. And Amazon. And mm-hmm. and it's a really great thing because they it's not that they're rebelling against the company. They just want better working conditions. They want to be treated as people. Right. Within their jobs. And so I think that's another issue that we're going to start to see reflected in Broadway and as they say now is the time to seize the day (laughs) so I say yes to relevance ding we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. We had the good fortune of getting to see the show three times on Broadway in 2012, 13, and 14. And we also both ran this show at Pioneer Theater in Salt Lake City. And we both saw it in theaters when they released it. I mean, that too. Um, I love, love seeing the show all three times, especially the last time as it was the first show to kick off our trip in 2014. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you're, what was it? You're grateful. You're 30 days of gratefulness or whatever. It always pops up in June. We were in purple. And you were like 30 days of grateful or something. And it was the first, that was our first show. Mm-hmm. It wasn't your your November like, you know. No, no, no. It was, I, I wanted to do this thing of, was it 30 days of gratefulness or was it 100 days of happy moments? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, and then meeting the cast afterwards uh, was incredible. They came, and it's funny, we were watching Better Nate Than Lever, Never, right? Better mm-hmm. Nate Than Never. Yeah. And when they were showing scenes from the theaters, you know, come to New Amsterdam. And they show a shot outside the New Amsterdam at one point. And we're like, cool. But then after that, like the inside shot, we're like, that's the St. James. And then another outside shot, we're like, that's the Needlelander. Because I was like, that's literally where we did the kiss and cry line for the Needlelander. I like the way they did the kiss and cr- they did the kiss and cry line at the Needlelander well, for Newsies. Well, because there was so many people and they couldn't block the sidewalk. Exactly. So... It was uh, insane. They created basically on their steps. It was like a round robin so that the actors can come out, sign, go back in, grab their stuff, and then leave at a separate place. Yeah, well, leave to the actual stage door. Exactly. The reality, yeah. Um, and looking back at the names of who have been in the show and seeing the autographs we got and seeing the pictures we got with them, it's amazing to see who we've met. Ephraim Sykes, Thane Jesperson, Corey Cott, Jeremy Jordan... You know, mm-hmm. Andrew Keenan Bolger. I'm just like, oh hey, yeah, that's that. That is the joy of meeting cast afterwards. Not just the big headliners, but the people who are in the ensemble or what have you. Because you never know when someone's going to become, you know, the next whatever. Right. Well, and this show holds a special place in my heart because when I was in high school, we had this teacher, Miss Clifford. Um, who she uh, was Clifford. I just wrote her high school. She would give you um, extra credit if you learned the Newsies dance. That's and funny. so I remember my basketball team, we all had a team dinner and we all learned the dance together so that we could all get extra credit. And I mean, it just, that was the, my first introduction to the movie because I had always had friends that watched it, never watched it until we learned the dance for... Miss Clifford, so. Shout out to Miss Clifford. She's She was a fierce teacher. Right, but so then to see, you know, that part of my memory and then to just be able to, like, revisit some of those memories and then get to see this story um, and then running the show, it just, it, it reminds me of just, you know, being a kid and just wanting to live your life and have fun with it. So I'm going to switch gears and take us from Broadway to Salt Lake running this show. Um, I loved writing this show. So I was the lead dresser on the show. So I dressed Davy and Jack. You were the male lead dresser, thank you. Oh, sorry, the male lead dresser. Um, and those two actors were fan freaking fantastic. Uh, still friends with them. Um, they really were great. But just all of the men, really, in that room were amazing. In fact, I'm friends with pretty much all of them, and it's amazing to see what they're all up to, what they continue to do. I mean, you're in a show with one of them, Jordan Beale, mm-hmm. who every time I come to pick you up from your theater and he walks out, you know, everyone, all, all the whole crowd that's there, just says, yeah, he just walks by and waves at them, but then he sees me and he stops, and he gives me the biggest hug in the world, and I'm like, I just adore this guy, and, and, and there's many more like him. Mm-hmm. Who I'm just like, I wish nothing but all the happiness and success because you were just 
the sweetest, kindest, most humblest people in the world. And it was such fun watching these guys perform Mm -hmm. every single time and hear that audience go crazy. And I was like, you deserve it. Look how hard you're working and you're having fun. And, you know, (laughs) these, these performers, these guys were just so great. And tying it into that, so we did the show in December. And um, so, you know, this is our holiday show. Because nothing says Christmas like, you know, starving newsboys. Happy holidays. Um, we organized a Secret Santa um, among, like, the crew, but then it expanded into the cast, which I... Th- that was the greatest thing about this show, is, like, there was no line between cast and crew. We were just, like, family. Yeah, just one big happy family. And there was also a lot of um, important political races happening Across the world. I and was we, keeping the actress who played Meta Larkin. Yeah, Cecily Daniels. Oh, or Cic- Cecily Daniels. She's so amazing. She's yeah. the cutest daughter. But she is so amazing. Yeah. Th- anyway, so we, we had the Secret Santa going on. Um, and I got, w- honestly, one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. I still have it. Um, and it's probably to everyone, it's the simplest gift in the world. Um you know, when you just look at it, but the person that, that put this together, like, I was like, girl, yeah. So, my best friend, um, I am the Carol to their Jeff. <laughs> like, we are we are a married couple at work. Shout out to Cammy, Cammy Jones, my, my best friend. We were dressers in crime. And um, she knew about how I'm a big theater fan and I do the autograph thing because you never know when someone's going to be whatever. And I'm a man of simple things. I don't like a lot of stuff. I prefer memories. Anyway, she got the entire company to sign these little cards and then she put them on a poster board for me with a picture of the company in the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, that was one of the few times um, at that time where we actually got like a full company photo. Mm-hmm. And it was just... And I don't know how she got a hold of the company photo, but she did. So I... I have this poster that has the whole company and then everyone's signature around it. And I was like, that is the sweetest gift because that's exactly something that is me, you know. So I I cherish that. So this show has a special place in my heart. That Makes was a good like that was that was that was a very good yeah. a good time running that show. Theater is back. And we hope you can join us soon. You'll be able to catch Newsies at a theater near you, I'm sure, sometime soon. We also want to remind you that you can now become a producer and a patron of our show by getting your backstage pass. Information about our new backstage pass can be found at patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. 
Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by The Good Louds, U.S. Army Blues, Sophie Tucker and Al Jolson, Milton Arias, and Billy Murray.